Breaking, 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 breaking. Uh, imposter. The imposter. Imposter. Breaking the imposter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking the Imposter. Here with you again is your host, Jermaine Ward. And today I am excited to let you know about Noah Ng. Noah Ng is a cloud engineer by day and a dancer by night. Who would have thunk those two worlds would collide? So, Noah, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, how do you balance the two, the Batman personality of in day and nighttime? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. I I was lucky enough to find dance in high school back in grade nine. So I've been dancing for about 15 years and I've been in tech for five. So I guess I've kind of had the built-in disciplines of dance. And uh, my particular dance style is breakdancing. Um, so it's very physically demanding. As I got older, you know, um, I realized that I kind of need something more long term. Can't be spinning on your head in your 30s. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I decided to focus more on tech. And the last five years has been really great. Awesome. And you got a little insight that you started dance at an early age. But how did you end up going from somebody that was so focused on dance and body movement to something that is probably going to cause setback in your bones and just sitting area <laughs> over the time of years as a developer, as an engineer? Yeah, that's a really great question as well, too. So yeah, I'd say I, I like really focused on dance all the way throughout school, all the way throughout until graduating York University. But afterwards, I think I kind of came to the realization that um, this wasn't something I could do forever, you know? And there's a lot of parallels that matched. What I currently do in my day job actually has a lot of relevance in what I've done in dance. Oddly enough, you know, making that kind of correlation, I can kind of get into that a little bit later. But um, yeah, I guess a a lot of it had to do with the long-term prospect, you know, like as you're graduating university and um, your friends are getting super dope jobs at like fan companies and stuff like that. And you're like, yo, I'm a sick dancer though, you know, like... (laughs) There's a big contrast there. You know, the the playing field is no longer level. I think I began to feel that a lot after I graduated. What was kind of the path you took when you had that realization? You're like, you know what? I want to get into engineering. Like, what did you do to actually start that? How did you actually start that journey? When I was in university, I actually switched my major like three times. So I was all over the place. I started off in like IT. And I took the first year courses and they kind of wrecked me. And I was like, I don't know if this is for me. So I, I, I took like business instead. And I just ended up switching my major a bunch of times. At the same time I was doing that, I was also running a dance studio. And this was when I was uh, 21 to 23. So really early on, I had no idea what I was doing. I had this dance studio down at uh, Young and Girard. It was like a 3,000 square foot space. It was massive. Long story short, you know, it. it Nothing lasts forever. And um, I was super young and I ended up having to close the studio. But I think that was kind of an awakening. Lucky enough, in my third year at university, I was like, you know what? Maybe IT was the right decision after all. So I ended up switching back in and kind of um, I had enough credits to get it all together and graduate in four years. But yeah, that, that was a very, very long journey that a lot of people actually don't know about me. And yeah, I'm happy to elaborate, but it's uh, there's a lot of stories that come out of that time in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just so interesting. Where it's just you don't hear you don't hear a lot of people that are so ingrained in the arts and kind of the science to such degree, right? Like you would expect you'd be like, oh no, you're gonna continue on dancing, or be like, what? You dance, but you're 
you do programming, you do you do engineering. What? How does that even correlate? So I think like it's it's just an interesting story to see how you've intersected those two and brought them in your life even today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It took me a long time to kind of figure out where the intersection was. And it's funny, my dad actually brought it up. So he's like, hey, like, I never understood, like, where your interests, like, actually intersected there. And he pointed out, he's like, I finally got it. It's like, Noah, like, you enjoy doing cloud engineering specifically because you're trying to make, like, fail-safe systems. You know what I mean? And you're trying to do something over and over and over until you can guarantee it can't fail. And I realized that breakdancing as a dance style in particular, like, you're not just going to go ahead and do a backflip. You know, you have to practice that backflip until you can do it on, on demand. And those are kind of the parallels between what I currently do, like, in my day job versus what I've done artistically. You know, like, breakdancing is a great intersection between athleticism, creativity, and music. And I find that with those three things together, it requires so much practice just like engineering and trying to make something perfect and have a really great robust solution. That's kind of where those two meet. And I think that's really like beyond just like art or tech, like something I really enjoy, like knowing something that has longevity that will last forever and something I can always come back to. And, you know, till this day, I can still backflip. So <laughs> on demand, on demand, I'll show you one day, you know? <laughs> nice. Nice. And it's just, that's, that's very interesting where a lot of people don't, break it down and see and as, as you said your dad had to help point it out and put it into words and be like oh that's why it makes sense we're just like yeah. that process of repetition continuing to iterate and continuing mm -hmm. to do better and making sure that what the steps that you're taking and the process that you're doing is not gonna is not gonna lead into causing injury or like mm -hmm. damage to the architecture when you build it in the cloud or something like that. So exactly. I think it's like, it's like those parallels are like, you know what? I never thought of it that way. I came in hearing you say that and I'm like, wait, wait. And I'm like, yeah. okay, this actually makes a lot of sense. So like for a longer term principles that you can take from both of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, like now I don't dance nearly as much. I do it like once or twice a week. And I try to teach younger people. I help out at a lot of community centers. But I've transitioned into kind of like lower impact activities like yoga and bicycling. So I still like to think I have a very active lifestyle um, with lots of dynamic motion. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not dancing five days a week like I used to, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the backflips are started. We'll take their toll practicing it like so many times a week in a day, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when did you realize or when did you have a discussion kind of with your dad on intersection between the two was it when you started first initially looking at it or was this a few years down the line oh this is definitely a few years down the line i think maybe last year or the year before like he kind he finally came up with it in his head he's just like oh like i totally see why you do what you do at work and like why you enjoy it so much because you know when it comes to like software development in general it can be kind of dry and he's just like, I don't see, like, I really thought you were on that path to live a more like performance art lifestyle and stuff like that. And like, you just made like a, a 360 turn, you know? And I'm just like, yeah. And he, it, it puzzled him for a while too. He's like, did I have an influence on this? Throughout university, you were so focused on the arts. Like, I'm really surprised. Like, yeah, in third year, like I, I, I even went up to him just like, 
hey man i think i'm just gonna change my major you know and he's just like oh i'm so happy for you you know like yeah yeah i was like in like east asian studies as a major at one point mm. i was going full humanities like not even anything business related i really had a quite the journey throughout university but i'm i'm really happy where i ended up and um i'm really happy i went to york yeah awesome i also i'm an alumni from york so yeah let's get it let's get it what was that like aha moment when you're like that made you be like, out of all these majors, out of all these different options that you have, all these talents that you could bring to the world, like what was that kind of aha moment that made you say, even though you didn't have the words for it, but made you mm -hmm. think like, I want to go down that engineering route? That's that's a really great question as well. So there's a few like vital life things that happened to me very early on. Like so after high school, I actually didn't go directly to York University. I actually went to go live abroad in China for two years. Ethnically, like I'm Chinese, like my great grandfather immigrated over from China, but like I'm not in any way, shape, or form like in touch with my roots. So my parents gave me this two year opportunity, like, hey, like, how do you feel about getting in touch with your roots and like figuring out like identity stuff? You know what I mean? I'm like, hell yeah, that sounds great. So I went out there, didn't speak a lick of Chinese, couldn't read or write. I had to have someone help me open up my bank account. This is at a time like in 2010 when English wasn't prominent in China. But over the course of those two years, I learned Chinese, and it's it's known to be one of the more difficult languages to learn. After coming back to Canada, I had so much confidence. I was just like, yo, I just went through two years of like being in a foreign country and like restarting my life there. Like I can learn anything. Like I was fluent in Chinese, I could read and write. So when I went to York, I was like, yo, I'm gonna pick the hardest program I possibly can. I'm gonna go and do try computer science. I didn't quite qualify for computer science. So my dad's like, yo, do IT. It's a nice mix of business and um, computer science as well. Yeah, again, in the first year I got wrecked. I was super disheartened. Me being 20 year old me, I was like, yo, but like, I'm sick at dance. So like, yo, like I'm just gonna do dance for my life, you know? And I think like, Having opened a studio, run it for a few years, like really meeting people who are in their 40s still dancing and stuff like that, it provided so much perspective to me that I was like, you know what, I have other things going on in my life and I probably shouldn't take it for granted. And I remember my dad always just asking me like, so what do you think you want to do after you graduate? Like, where do you want to work? And I just never had that answer. And like, he would ask me, I think every semester, you know what I mean? Like, you're moving all over the place. You're kind of all over the place. And I'm like, oh, I just want to dance for the rest of my life. But I think I just, having met some older guys in the scene and the community, I just realized like, you know, you can dance for the rest of your life, but like, it's not necessarily something that's for me. And I'm not nearly passionate enough. So I think that's when I started having other thoughts. And I'm just like, well, I'm still really confident. And like, where did that confidence come from? I was like, oh man, like those two years in China, like coming back, I was like, yo, I can do anything. So I was like, maybe I should try and like set out to complete what I wanted to do, like first off. So yeah, kind of a mix of those two. And then I just had an aha moment. I'm like, yo, I can do this if I really just focus down and, and, and get it done. So that was a time in my life where I actually really started shifting. Like I was dancing less. I was focusing more on like my degree. I was thinking like, oh yeah, I, I do want to become like a software developer and like engineer and stuff like that, you know? I guess long story short, it was a combination of seeing how, I guess you can call them lifers are in the dancer community. 
and kind of understanding maybe that's not where I am and also understanding like that I had an opportunity and that I was confident enough to like follow through with it after a few years. I think that's like, an important lesson of like kind of knowing when to pivot and when it's okay <laughs> yeah. to pivot, right? Because a lot of what you're saying just seems like as you learned more and you started to understand how there was some correlation or how like something is calling you a little stronger, allowing yourself, giving yourself the space to make that shift versus mm -hmm. just being like stubborn and just being like, oh, whatever they say, I'm going to be number one. That, <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I just was a little bit more real with myself. Um, yeah, towards like third year when I was like 23. Yeah. Nice, nice. That wasn't until like fourth year. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that, I was like, that I was like that. So it's great that, that you could find that out and you could also make those course corrections and put in the time to actually learn the skill mm -hmm, that you're mm -hmm. willing to move over to. So it's like, did the, did the hours kind of replace dancing hours you put like kind of as much as many hours as you had in dance and shifted over to absolutely to man absolutely yeah like i took the same level of disciplines i had with dance like i was dancing like minimal three hours a day on top of that like you know like just stretching and conditioning and stuff like that so i'd say i'd be training at least like three to four hours a day i'd, I'd always also be doing school but i was never taking it very seriously so I think that's when I really shifted over. I'm like, I need to take this training mentality, but put it into school so that I can finish across, uh, like finish this degree pretty much, right? It seems like you had used a lot of the skills from before. And I'm just like curious of some of those soft skills that you transferred over. Like what were some of those like fundamental soft skills that helped you with that transition? I think a big one is just like, I was very comfortable performing. Um, like I, I've toured America and Asia um so like dancing in front of large i don't care how big the audience is it really doesn't bother me so that's a big one just like performing like i'm also really good at just coming up with stuff on the spot like a lot of break dancing in particular is um improv you don't know what song you're gonna be dancing to they put it on they're just like go so there's that and i feel like those skills really help to transfer over to give me a competitive edge versus other developers and that's something I actually really pride myself in because um, I feel like it gave me what people would call sales skills, I guess. Like um, my girlfriend said like on her first date, me and my girlfriend have been together for five years. I was like, what really set me apart? She's like, you're like a developer, but not really because you had like the soft skills to actually talk to me and stuff like that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay, yo, I'll like take that to heart. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, totally. And like, I, I get it a lot when I talk to recruiters as well. They're often very taken back, like, oh, you're very personable. I'm like, oh, thank you. It's probably because you just <laughs> deal with phone calls all day with, like, people who are a little bit more introverted or haven't really built out those skills of communication yet. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's I think it's easy to get, get into the trap if your brain has been very much on the tech line and development line to be mm -hmm. very, like, straightforward and to the point and <laughs> want, like a logical sequence of interaction because i think the improv piece is especially one of the things that i think like yeah i guess that makes sense so you're more open to variance yeah. <laughs> within the conversation which is just like a lot of people from stereotypes quote unquote mm -hmm. it's just like yeah no is this conversation go anywhere what's the results what's this okay did <laughs> we make it work out good yeah next <laughs> yo absolutely man and one thing i'd like to add to that is just 
you know, like when you're focused on development or engineering, you're not given the opportunities a business person is given. Like, and and I think that's really where I I wouldn't say communication skills degrade, but like maybe business acumen in particular, because if you work in business, like, or even design, like you're talking to people all the time and they'll be from all different walks of life. You're having meetings all the time. And like, if you're in development or engineering, like, um, the focus is really to come up with the greatest solutions possible. And it doesn't mean that your communication skills are not going to be good. It's just not the focus of the job. You're not getting exposed to like, I have maybe four hours of meeting a week, like just to kind of give a reference, you know what I mean? Like those are my mandatory meetings versus somebody in business or design who would be, you know, talking easily 50% of the week. Like, yeah. And it's just like the different, different sort of workload and what you're expected to do. Let's not talk about it. Mm-hmm. we're doing it we're solving it. <laughs> we're getting it <laughs> yeah exactly awesome awesome as you start coming into this hybrid of yourself like how would you describe your personal brand today yeah so that that's a huge thing so um i emphasize that i have a background in performance art but i am a technical person and um i don't attach myself too like closely to being like a developer or engineer I've been put in team lead roles quite a bit. So I, well, already like twice in the last five years, I guess. And um, I found that it was actually a really good fit for me because I would be able to kind of bring together my whole team's work and present it for them. And it's it's very technical what I'm presenting, but I also need to kind of sell it to management and like stakeholders and stuff like that. So for my own personal brand, yeah, like I can see myself maybe in the future, like working in technical sales or something like that but yeah as as a personal brand that's that's a really good question i've never really been asked that directly so (laughs) (laughs) i hope that that kind of answers it in a way you know um a technical person but with performance skills you know (laughs) and how does that how does that exactly like manifest i know you mentioned that a lot of people are like surprised when they see like oh it's a little different i wasn't expecting that for from a developer like how does that image or that like identity translate to how people interact and see you when you say like what your title is or i used to do dance like yeah absolutely um i feel like people are i don't find myself intimidating (laughs) i I hope most people don't but i find it um people feel very comfortable reaching out to me or just hopping on calls all the time specifically for cloud engineering because you're, you're you're managing a system in the cloud everybody's kind of uh, coming up to you and asking for something all the time. I feel like that translates really well. Like I, I really pride myself in being easy to work with first and foremost. Like it's like my number one skill. <laughs> and then like the technical stuff is kind of like, you know, after that, but nobody wants to work with an, with an a-hole, you know what I mean? So yeah, I feel like that's how it translates. And then like, I'm also, I'm also very in tune with like who to pull into conversations and like kind of presenting their ideas very quickly. Like I often find that people overcomplicate things and, you know, they'll give a description of something super technical and it'll take them 15 minutes to explain it to me. And I'll like, I'll TLDR it into five minutes and just be like, hey, this person needs help with this. So yeah, a bit of quarterbacking there as well too. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So you're somebody that's a really big collaborator and facilitator Mm -hmm. with conversations. 
mm. with different people and various skills. It sounds like sounds a lot like what UX designers do. What the hell is going on over here? I thought I was a UX designer in this call. <laughs> and I think there's I think there's one point that we didn't really touch on, but you brought it up a few times. So could you help the listeners understand what exactly cloud engineering is? Just so with all the times and references you've made so far, like what, how would you explain it for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to use an analogy to describe cloud engineering, a lot of people refer to the cloud, uh, specifically like Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud Platform as like Ikea. So let's say we're trying to build a room out. Um, the cloud is kind of like Ikea where you can go and you can buy all these preset things and set up the room however you want. Now imagine the same thing, but for when you're making a website. So specifically for like web applications, we're using the cloud to bring them together. So you need a server, you need a database, I guess at the very base, like, yeah, you're just renting it from them. In cloud engineering, you find ways to automate that out so that you're more concerned with the quality of service. So we think about like something like Rogers or Bell. When's the last time you actually had a drop call? It very rarely happens, right? So in cloud engineering, what we try to do is we try to use these big cloud providers like Amazon or Google um, to build websites to have a quality of service equivalent to something like Rogers or Telus or like 911 even, or 911, sorry, like an emergency helpline or something like that. And yeah, that's kind of the idea. You know, like um, back in the day before cloud engineering, people would literally have to buy servers themselves. And like, how well is a dude actually going to be able to maintain a server? You need to sleep? Well, are you going to just watch the server and make sure the, it's on all the time and working? Like, that's very brutal. So cloud engineering is a relatively new field. I'd say when I started my, my degree in university, it was only emerging then. But now it's very commonplace. Like people are familiar with, oh, what is the cloud? Like it's it's not a huge black box anymore. But yeah, I like to use the IKEA analogy in particular for for cloud engineering because really and truly, like we're borrowing something. Well, at IKEA you buy something, but in the case of cloud, you're leasing something from um, Google or Amazon's data centers. So it's like leveraging better pe people that have used the technology better historically, leveraging their stuff mm -hmm. so that you could make your services smoother with less drops and more consistency and experience for the person at the end of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. This is, this is great things for a designer to use. Like, hey, let me just like bring, like, what's the answer? How is Google doing it? Is their cloud good for this? Great, bring it in. <laughs> like we will never, oh no, we're going to become obsolete as you guys get better with these things. No, we're going to have like five designers at the top that are dictating all the experiences that are right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I hope I gave a, a general enough answer for the layman. I, I would say it's it's kind of a dry topic as well too. Like a lot of people... I'm personally very interested about how the internet works in general. I've always been super curious. I'm just like, dude, like we're talking through Google Meets right now. This is crazy. Like, how is this happening? Yeah, I completely understand if people are like, oh, cloud engineering. Okay. <laughs> hey, anybody that went to Ikea, just listen to it a few times and think about it and be like, you know what? Imagine you were just borrowing the furniture 
to put in your room and be like, it's already built, or you would hope it's already built because you still got to make those connection points exactly yourself to make sure that the furniture actually looks. But they take care of all of that for you. They thought of it. All you got to do, this is the room it needs to be in? Great. Set it up for me, please. Or I'll set it up. I'll set it up. Not set it up for me, please. We all know sometimes the instructions on Ikea are not the best. (laughs) (laughs) And and kind of just to add to that, like, I, I feel like design and product design digital design is like incredible because if you think about it most people nowadays spend a very large portion of their day in the digital world and somebody has had to design that right so that's why i like to kind of use the ikea analogy because whether you like to believe it or not when you're looking at instagram somebody has picked every single pixel there right yeah and i always look at it like sometimes i just look at the products i use like even just like a chrome google chrome or something like that it's just like <laughs> you got to consider a lot. It was like yeah. going through my phone and just be like, okay, so all these web web apps and things, like not only do they have to follow your standards, but you have to create standards that accommodates everybody. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's super interesting topic. <laughs> and if you aren't in tech and you are a little curious, we invite you to continue Googling and look it up because there's just so many things that are happening all mm-hmm. throughout. And you could probably find a topic that you're interested in and just be like, wait, how? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, kind of looking at the past year, we're approaching the end of the year and just really a time that we're all reflecting and looking at things. Like, what was one of your biggest goals that you had set for yourself and accomplished it this past year? Oh, man. That, that's a really big one. So, this year in particular was very, very special. I was working at Questrade. Um, at the beginning of the year, shout outs to Questrade. <laughs> I was there for six months and then a new career opportunity came along and my friend offered me to work at a startup and he was just like, hey man, like you can be a team lead at the startup. You can hire out the team. You can, you know, you can be that guy. Like I've seen you do it before at a previous company. And I'm like, okay, bet. Like I'm, I'm down to come through. So I worked there for six months and At the startup, I actually came to a lot of realizations that it made me actually question, like, what makes me the happiest day to day? And I realized that, like, having deep personal relationships, spending quality time with family and stuff like that was actually what made me most happy. And I realized that my work, as much as I do enjoy it, wasn't the number one priority. So um, when I had that realization, I was in California with my brothers um, and this is right before my oldest brother just got married. So there's a lot of cool life stuff happening, but it made me actually, this year allowed me to prioritize what actually makes me most happy. And after six months at that startup, I decided to go back to Questrade because Questrade has an incredible work-life balance. It has the pace that I want, and it allowed me to kind of focus more on my life. So yeah, to kind of answer the question, like one of the big things this year for me was actually just becoming more self-aware through work and understanding what actually makes me the most happy. I, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very amazing. And just a side note, we are not sponsored by segment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's I think it's like a really good point because sometimes sometimes we are tempted to create goals that are outside of ourselves so that the world would see it as a reflection of like we did a good thing we did a thing but i think 
coming to that self-realization and really finding out what you really value helps you with building that longer term plan of fulfillment and be like, well, I know I can't do a role where I see pretty much no family. I found out that that's not a thing. So I'm okay with this level of work-life balance and that can make me happier and growing in that role than this next thing that I was yeah. pursuing. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just to kind of elaborate a little bit more, when I was at the startup, I kind of realized I'm like, man, I'm kind of endlessly chasing career goals. And as cool as that was, and the and like the opportunity I got to work with my friends and lead a team, like, it's actually, yeah, I just realized it's not truly what makes me happy. So yeah, that that was the biggest realization I had this year. And um, it's definitely changed my life. Yeah. It's like chasing the hamster wheel. Where you're like Absolutely. on the hamster <laughs> wheel and you're just like, okay, so I can go here, get a promotion, go here, get a job title change, mm-hmm. go here and see like from from the perspective of everybody else, I look like I'm moving fast, I'm moving up and I'm doing crazy, amazing things. I should be so happy because of all these changes. But then what actually aligns with your more fundamental and core values and principles is not chasing that thing. It's really finding something that allows you to live that balanced life and you grow at a pace that's more comfortable yeah, you got it, man. You totally got it. You you definitely uh, framed that much better than I did. <laughs> All I'm doing is listening. I'd be like, oh, can I can I can I paraphrase? Can I see something of how I understand it? And if it hits yeah. the nail, then it hits totally. the nail, man. <laughs> totally, man. And I guess what one thing I think people neglect to do, and what I'm always curious about, is how how did you celebrate coming to that realization, like? When you notice you hit that goal, was there anything that you did for yourself to kind of celebrate that win? I love that you're asking this question, man. <laughs> I, I actually got back in touch with dance very heavily. Um, so I started dancing way more. I started seeing old friends from the community. Like I reached back out to them and like, I'm actually rekindling something right now. And it, it's really incredible for me because I think it's just a part of my mind that when I do it, like something lights up again. And I'm just like, dude, you did this like, all of your teen years, like your early twenties and stuff like that. Like, and it just, it brings me so much soulful fulfillment and like so much enjoyment that like, I'm like, this was the right decision. I am so much happier. And like, you know, a lot of the reason though, that I I did focus on my career and I was chasing these titles and like career development is actually because I had massive imposter syndrome from not focusing on one major throughout university. And I think this year was the first year that I actually felt that I was in a good place. Like career-wise, I'm like, I've paid my dues, man. Like, you know what I mean? I was like super hard on myself for like changing my major during university and stuff like that to the point where I was just like, this is not good enough. Like I should be in a better place career-wise. I really, really just focused on my career out of university for like like a good three to four years straight. Like I, I pushed aside a lot of things in my life. I- I have a question for that, whereas you think, yeah, this is a bit of a leading question, but I'll ask it anyway. So (laughs) do you think that because you didn't quote unquote start and have a plan that was strictly on this path of where you are now from the beginning, that you were trying to overcompensate to end up where like I have to make up for those years that I 
I wasn't doing it to just feel comfortable. Do you think that, that a bit of that happened and what led to the imposter syndrome? Because to catch up to the year's loss is like, you need to actually put in the years, not just say like, I'm a fast track. Yo, 100%. <laughs> I would say 1000% if it made sense. Dude, totally, man. Like I have faced this so strongly throughout my life. And like, that's actually what made me so interested in talking to you today and like following your series. I've faced this so strongly. It's it's like not even a joke. Like, cause you know, I, I have family members who, you know, stuck to one degree all throughout, got four internships at massive, well-known international companies. And then by the time they graduate, they're just like, huh, now I can just pick whatever I want to do. This is kind of a joke. You know what I mean? I feel like because I like, I focused on the arts and dance and community so much throughout my degree that all of that time was like, yeah, I didn't, I, I hadn't paid my dues. So then when I graduated, I think for the last, like, yeah, like four to five years, I felt like, no, I still need to strive to do better and like make up for that time that I lost. And now I'm beginning to realize I didn't lose that time. I just put it elsewhere. And I'm super happy with the decision that I made now. You know, if you were to ask me three years ago, I'd still be facing master, massive imposter syndrome. I'd be like, dude, like, oh man, I got to be so much more focused. I'm so behind. But now, man, like, yo, I have my dance. I got my career. <laughs> We're on this podcast, dude. I'm super fucking, I'm hyped. Sorry if I can't swear, but. <laughs> uh, that in post, it's <laughs> it's, it becomes an issue. But I think, I think that's like a really important point that I know, like, even for myself, where I started doing design three and a half years, four years, and I haven't had much visual background before that. And it's like, when you come into the industry, it's like, yo, I'm like, I'm 30? Okay, so how do I let people know that like 20 to 30 weren't a waste? That all that time I spent doing English and I was like, I didn't, don't worry, don't think about that. Like, think of like, yo, I'm ready for this job. I'm ready to move up. Like, mm -hmm. I'm experienced in life that I can yeah. get senior in like a year and a half of doing yeah. this from junior. Like, come on, I can do this. And like, if you start going in that pace and as you start going in that pace, as you mentioned, it starts to eat up away some of those things that were part of your identity that you really value. Yes. Right? Yes. And I think that's, I think that's an important lesson that I'm like, figuring, I'm hearing here and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's really true. Like maybe, maybe I am putting myself into too much of this rat race thing when it's mm -hmm. like actually for my life, how I want to build it out. It doesn't need me to be a lead, a lead UX designer that's globally recognized within my first three and a half years of doing <laughs> yeah. UX in my entire life. Like maybe there's, I could take it slower. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I could take it strategically step by step. So I grow at a pace that's fine. And I'm, I, I am okay with not what the outside world thinks is okay and feel yeah. less of an imposter because I know where I'm at and I know I can get to the next step. And also, I have space for the other things that I really want to do. Time to mm -hmm. spend with family, being able to have you on a guest as a podcast and having these yeah. conversations. Like, I can have that balance because I'm not, what's the word that I'm looking for? not just one thing yeah you got I, it man you totally got it man like i feel like you know kudos to those people who had that nice like straightforward path like i am a little envious but like i'm i'm really happy with the decisions i made and like you're not your job at the end of the day and i think it's really important to remember that a lot of people do heavily tie their identity towards their their profession which which i understand but i just realized i'm not one of those guys 
And I feel like it gives me an edge. It also gives you an edge too, right? Like when you talk to us, it's like, yo, this guy's got something else going on for him, you know? <laughs> I like your skills, but they're not—they're not quite hard UX skills. So what is? Yeah, it? yeah, exactly, exactly. You got it, man. You totally get it. Awesome. The building the robust self. I think that's. <laughs> don't need to be professional olympic level you want it to be part of your life and help teach other people and do that like, do something like that it doesn't have to be everything is at the highest level of excellence and competency where everybody thinks like i know myself like when it comes to martial arts <laughs> Where I start being like, yo, I want it to be the person that like could just get into a fight with anybody and just be like, be able to see all the movements and just be done in like easy, easiness. But I think I have to be realistic to the time that I could put in where I could still learn things. Like I help people build their bodies. I can help my body get to a place that's comfortable, but I don't have to be Bruce Lee. I don't have yeah. to be Michael Jai White or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Bring totally. it back. Like I could get there, but I don't need to be that today. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, you get it, man. You totally get it. Like, there's definitely challenges with like, facing new identities, right? And having to go through that all over again. Like a lot of people don't want to let go of things or they don't realize they can be more than just one thing, right? So very well said, Jermaine. Very well said. And just like you, I think it's like a little envious of the people that kind of have that all figured out. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> All you do is music. You do eight hours of music a day, and you're just like just killing it in the in the Grammys and all the awards and all that. Dang, man! Yeah. I wish I could do that, but I think like we have to be realistic. Like they, those come with their own struggles of doing that. Yeah. And if you want to have that balance, is that appropriate for you? And I think that's a good question where we could ask ourselves: Is like, is this appropriate for me? Is this am I okay? It's not really settling. It's just going on like. Where is where are you aiming? Which part of the stars are you aiming? Like, yeah. Are you satisfied with the moon you land on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a bit of a side note, I, I actually remember kind of going through some of those thoughts. Like when I was 19, I had my first really bad injury. Like I tore my Achilles tendon and I was out for three months. So I went from dancing five days a week to like zero for like three months. And then even after that, I couldn't dance. It took me about a year to like slowly get back into it. But that definitely made me kind of, that's definitely one of those life situations where I'm like, man, like if I only just dance and I don't have that, like, who am I? Like, I was definitely like lost, as you said, right? Like I am def, you know, those people who are able to focus on one things, do eight music, um, eight hours of music a day. Like if they don't have music, like, yo, is that, is that going to like really take away a big part of their life? Like. So that's definitely helped me to come to terms with like having multiple identities, you know, having a life after work. I'm a different person to many different communities and different situations. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like they talk about things like code switching in the, in the black community where it's just like at work, you have a different voice. And when you're in, like with your friends and your boys, but I think like it's definitely being a social chameleon actually helps <laughs> in yeah. different situations. I look at it more of like instead of code switching, it's like social chameleons because I'm not going to go and speak as I would in a meeting where we're trying to decide on what to prioritize the project when I go with people <laughs> yeah. in martial arts or I go to with like my gamer community. There's like 
there is an acknowledgement where I'm okay to be. It's still who I am. I just present differently on the circumstance or in the scenario that I'm in. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Awesome. So I am going to be going into the section and a segment that I really, really love. I do love the beginning, but I really, really love the fire, rapid fire section. Because we get to get like those nuggets where people could just like take actionable things from our conversation that they can start applying to their life. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. So the first question that I have is one what is one attribute that has contributed to your overall success and growth? I'd say resilience. Knowing that you know you can fail and you can pivot and switch. And that's totally okay. Awesome. And who has been a great inspiration for you? I would definitely say my younger brother, Ryan, shout out to Ryan Ng. <laughs> you know, this guy has done incredible in his career and he's taken a more straight path, but he's always reminded me like, Hey dude, like, you know, just because you, you took a few detours here and there, that doesn't mean anything. Like nobody really recognized that that's just you, bro. And I'm just like, yo, you're right, man. You're right. <laughs> it's amazing. I can hear him say that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So who has been your biggest cheerleader for your success? Yo, totally my girlfriend. Big shout outs to Selena. You know, we started dating in my, the first year out of university. So when we were both kind of at our first jobs and um, I was nowhere near as confident as I am now. And I just, I'm forever grateful. You know, when you meet somebody kind of when they're just like a little seed and I'd like to view myself as a bit of a flower now, you know, so big <laughs> shout out to her. Awesome. And we found out one way that you did, but how do you celebrate your wins? Oh, man. Um, celebrating wins, definitely just spending quality time with family and, and vacationing and just like, yo, this is these are the things you remember. You go on vacation with your family in some foreign place and you're like, yo, this is sick. These are the memories that I'll have for the rest of my life. Like those are the big ones. And also spending time with previous coworkers. And being like, yo, man, like I was, I was finally able to achieve this at work. And like, we had this problem in the past, but yo, we figured it out now. So visiting, I guess, visiting old communities as well and, and friend groups and, and spending quality time with those who matter. What's one lie you had to stop telling yourself? Oh, bro, you're not good enough. Your <laughs> credentials are subpar because you slacked off in school. You're paying for it now. Like, that's all a lie, man. That's all totally a lie. I realized it was always within me. I just needed to like put in the time and pick myself up and stay focused and be optimistic. And I think you, I think you brought it up a little bit, but what is one, like one of the aspects for this next question, but what is one hobby that you do outside of work that helps to keep you grounded? Definitely dance, dance. Like I'm hanging out with people who are half my age. It's just about the music and having fun and enjoying yourself. I'm also learning to play the bass. Nice. And and I suck. I suck at <laughs> the bass. So that that's a really grounding thing when you're like, man, like I'm like almost 30 and like I'm trying to learn something new and I suck at this. This is awesome. You know, like very grounding. It's a, a very good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Humbling, humbling yourself to being a beginner again. Yep. So what's the best advice you say you've ever received? For work in particular, somebody told me write things down and show people you're attentive and they'll take notice of how organized you are so for instance if we were to have this meeting like take meeting notes and then just repeat it back at the end and the other person would be like whoa man that's one thing that i've always done throughout my career any meeting i'll have always take meeting notes if you had 60 seconds with yourself when you just came out of high school 
what advice would you give to him? Oh, that's funny, man. Uh, <laughs> don't do drugs. Stretch every day. Make sure you get good enough marks that you can do internships. And relationships are the things that make you most happy. So focus on your relationships. What is one book you recommend? Okay, so I have two, if that's okay. One is, for those of you in tech, Continuous Delivery by Jez Humble. Um, this guy is a, a sleeper agent. He's influenced a lot of the tech industry, and people don't even realize it. For people who are not in tech, Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, Power of Now. It's great. Awesome. And one piece of parting advice that you have for the listeners. Oh, man. You are not your career. You are not your job. Fancy titles and credentials are just ways for people to recognize your brand and make sense of who you are. You know who you are and what your abilities are. Don't undersell yourself and just stay resilient, stay optimistic, and just keep pushing. Awesome. How can the listeners best reach you? Um, you can just go to noahing.com. It has a link to my LinkedIn. It has a link to my Twitter, my Instagram. If you want to see me dance, my YouTube. It's definitely just the best way to see it all. So yeah, noahing.com, guys. Thank you so much, Noah. I'm sitting here and I'm just like, oh, man. Now I got to change some things in my life. What are we going to balance out? What do we have to bring back in? Because I'm too focused on work and all those things. But I really do appreciate you coming. I think I learned a lot. I know that anybody listening had learned a lot. And I was just so grateful to have you. Dude, I had a blast. Thank you so much for providing this platform. I hope your listeners enjoy this. And I had a, I had a great time. Thank you so much, Jermaine. No problems. Everybody... I hope you listen. I hope you reach out and hope you learn something that can definitely help you lead forward. Talk to you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Imposter. To stay up to date when episodes are released or to become a guest on the podcast, you can visit our website at www.breakingtheimposter.com. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so we can make sure the imposter stays broken. 